just as well that the bulletin is blank because with the two surprise appointments and my sickness, I'm not preaching that sermon anyway. So um, just choose your uh, right in the blank. Choose your own adventure. No, a sermon that it's hard to believe it's been three years since I've preached it here at least, but a sermon that certainly spoke to me. And so I, I, I want to hear it tonight. And so would you please turn to Daniel chapter six? Daniel chapter six, well-known passage. Since I had preached on Daniel chapter three recently, the, um, the golden statue, this actually has some connections. So in some ways, it's a companion sermon. I will read the story, the passage as we go through it. So let us begin with prayer and then we'll begin. Our father, now we come to you in a, in a culture where we have society, we have resources at our fingertips, we have physical Bibles, we have virtual Bibles, we, we have access to podcasts and seminary lectures and YouTube talks about the faith. In the sea of all that wealth, keep us hungry, keep us yearning for your word that we have right before us now. And so, Spirit, would you work in our lives? We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, two weeks ago or so, I was privileged to go to the Chaplain's Conference, the PRCC, that's my endorsing agency, and there was about 60 chaplains there or so, and one of the things that we do is our endorser, who's a retired Fulbright colonel as a chaplain, and so he's, he's done that, he's been through it, he, he knows what we've been through, and he takes us into a room, and we just we kind of close the doors, called executive session, use the Presbyterian language, and, and we just talk about the difficulties, talk about the challenges, talk about the trials, talk about how no one feels as if they are being actively persecuted, but, but the lines, the boundaries that they need to walk are, are getting a little tighter, and they have to be careful about how they step. And, and it, was, it was an odd experience for me as someone who's on my way out. I almost felt like I didn't belong there. Lord willing, be retired in six months. But I, 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 you know, I've been there. I've been active duty, deployed as a chaplain. I, 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 I feel where they're at. And I, I was encouraged to hear not, not despair, not complaining, not discouragement, but, but a sober analysis of, of real challenges that are there. And these men are, are men who have put much, many years and effort into not only the ministry, but what the army says is a career. And there's a lot of benefits that go with that career. Retirement, officers pay, status. The army says, oh yeah, if you don't do what we want, the military, we can, we can take that away from you. And so there's this challenge that I think the passage of Daniel would speak not only to a chaplain, but to all Christians, especially in an age where, societally speaking, the, the limits of what is acceptable for a Christian keeps getting narrower and narrower, of course, unless you just want to believe that in your home. And what I would say is, I pray, is that for each of us, what people would say of us as followers of Christ, before anything else, is that we were faithful to the end. We did not compromise, but we were faithful to the end. And before I just give a quick sketch before we, we get into the reading. Now, Daniel is, is quite old. 
He comes as a, as a young man, chapter 2. He's elevated to powers. He interprets the visions of Nebuchadnezzar. The three is the golden statue. Chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar is humbled and then, and then restored. And then between chapter 4 and 5, there's maybe a couple decades. And, and so then Belshazzar comes on the scene, perhaps the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel is out of favor. He's off someplace doing something else. He's no longer in the seats of power. He's brought back in as the Babylonian Empire is crumbling. He interprets the handwriting on the wall. And, and, and as he does that, he gains the notice of the new Persian king, Darius, who comes in and conquers Babylon. He befriends this new king. And once again, he's in the halls of power, not now as, as an up-and-coming political rookie, but as a seasoned veteran who's been there, who, who knows what it's like. And once again, just like in chapter 3 with the golden statue, a righteous Jew encounters opposition when he stays faithful to the end. Now, if you remember in chapter 3, bowing down to the, 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 the idol, it talks about that there is a face, fate worse than death. Some things are worse than dying and that you need at that point to resist to the point of death. But I like how one commentator says that this chapter is no mere repetition of chapter 3. It, what it does is it tells you that you cannot hang on to the fruit of your earlier victories. This is what the commentator says. Chapter 6 is a necessary reminder that the life of faith must be lived to the very end and that earlier victories and rescues cannot be taken as guarantees of absence of future crises. You must press on. You must continue to grow into full maturity in Christ. God may bless you with a young life where you are full of devotion and passion, but you can't rest on that and coast. God may have brought you through much pain and trials in your earlier years, but you can't assume that just because of that you've come through those trials, you will no longer have any more difficult situations. Be faithful to the end. And to see that in this passage, we're going to look at four ways to be faithful. Be faithful in persecution. Be faithful with power. Be faithful because of protection. And then be faithful in the present. So let's look at the first ten verses. Chapter 6, this is God's word. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. And the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. When these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdoms, the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or any man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the documents so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house 
for he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Now, Daniel's making enemies very quickly on this new regime. He's a Jew, and people don't like Jews, it seems, but he's, he's on very good terms with the king, so that's going to predispose him to not being liked, and he's very high up. He's getting a promotion, and worst of all, he's above reproach. I think it was Dale Ralph Davis who said, Daniel 6 begins with a miracle, a squeaky clean politician. So, someone who's not in it for themselves, someone who's not going to you know, cut you a deal and you're going to give me a little bit of this. No, his task was to make sure that the king suffered no loss and he took it very seriously. He was not going to look the other way or just cut his friends out. No, no, no. he was spotless. And so he rubs the others the wrong way and they say, this guy's got to go. And if we're going to hold anything against him, it has to be his relationship with his God. Now stop and think about that for a moment. Daniel was blameless in his conduct and he was still persecuted. May it be that when we are persecuted, it is for being Christ-like and not for angry jerks who have lost influence in society and, and we're simply bitter. Right? Here's the best case scenario. A righteous man who is not seeking power is simply doing his job and being excellent and he is attacked. And you can be as kind and inoffensive today about God's truth and still encounter hostile persecution. The, the chaplains are talking about this. How, how do we negotiate? The, the army says that you must address a soldier by their preferred gender. You must. Well, what if you believe that that's not what's true? What if you believe that's a lie? Now, right now, we were able to just say by their last name, that seems to be working. But there's other places in public schools where a teacher was let go because was not willing, I don't know if he was a Christian or not, but was not willing to use a gender that obviously didn't belong to that person. He was willing to call them by their last name. Let go. Well, you see the opposition and you know the story. These men go to Darius and build a trap just for Daniel. Right? Now, by the way, who is this Darius? You know, if you look at the end, um, just at the end of verse 28, it says, so Darius prospered during the reign of, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And there is a little bit of a lack of clarity there. It could be that Darius and Cyrus are the same person. You can translate it. And in fact, it is translated in some other chronicles in the Bible. That would be Darius that during the reign of Darius, that is the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So it's possible that the two were over were the same person. They had sometimes someone had different titles, different names. Could be that Darius was a local governor and Cyrus was the, the king. Whatever it is, here's Darius in charge. Um, it does seem, though, that, that he is expressed at the Supreme One. So it would make sense that this was also Cyrus the Persian. Is it because they come and they stay, O king, let it be that you are the only one that we can ask for 30 days. Now, this is understood as a religious petition, right? Basically, Darius would have been sort of a, a godlike high priest mediating requests for that month. Darius thinks that's a great idea. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to be prayed to for a month? And also, it's, it's the beginning of his rule. And so this would establish and consolidate his reign. It would give him some political clout, religious clout that would go together. And so Darius signs the decree and it goes into law and they wait. And what does Daniel do? Well, one commentator put it this way. If Daniel's enemies formed a noose for Daniel, then he sticks his head in the noose. 
But he, he goes right up to his open window and prays for Jerusalem. Remarkably faithful to the end. Now, at this point, Daniel is over 80 years old. That was actually a surprise to me when I was reading this. You know, I always think of Daniel as a young man at this time. But, but no, quite, quite a bit of time has passed. This, is, this chapter is very near chapter 9, where he finds out that the 70 years that, that were prophesied by Ezekiel are going to be longer than 70 literal years. So think about Daniel's mindset. He has served the Lord faithfully in a foreign country as an exile for 70 years. And whatever hope he has of going home, it's dashed. It's gone. You could expect him, you could expect him to be a little worn out, a little jaded, coasting on inertia, perhaps giving in to some of the little comforts of being one of the chief advisors to the most powerful man in the world. But after 70 years in exile, he is still seeking the Lord in such a way that he is a ripe target. He doesn't try to protect himself. He walks willingly into the trap. Daniel is faithful to the end. And so he goes to the lions. You, you may endure persecution simply because you are Christian and other people find your beliefs offensive. Be faithful to the end. Now, we could say there is a time for wisdom. Um, there was a time when, when Peter was imprisoned and he was going to be executed and the angel let him out and he actually did run away and hide after he went away. He, he, there, there's a time, but, but sometimes when the situation is unavoidable or if you feel that you are called to take a stand, be faithful during persecution. The second thing is to be faithful with power. Let's read the next 10 verses, starting at verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles, from Judah pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day... The king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you've served continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Well, the book of Daniel helps you as God's people how to understand your relationship with early power. Now, you can see here that Daniel's opponents, they were obsessed with power. It is what drove them. 
They, they turned power into an idol and it made it their God so much that they were willing to plot and to, to kill to get Daniel out of the way to increase their standing. And yet Daniel tells you that this type of power, this earthly power, is fading. You see this with King Darius. Now, prior, in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they earned the ire of, of King Nebuchadnezzar for not bowing down. He was angry. He was to the point that he was boiling over in rage. Well, this time, Daniel's a friend of the king. He's the most powerful ruler under him. I mean, he's in high places. I mean, and he's the guy everyone is told. This is the king that everyone is told to worship as a god. And the great irony is that this god gets boxed into a political trap. And before the wily conspirators pounce, they get the king to tell us right, just, just what the law of the, Pes, the, the Medes of Persians is in, in, in verse 12, right? The, 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 the king, in his own words, says the thing stands fast according to the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. And so this God gets cornered by his own irrevocable law, and he can't save Daniel. He's powerless to do the very thing that he even wants to do. He spends the whole night fasting, and agonizing, and he comes close to crying out to Daniel's God for his friend. By the way, that's how people view the true God. God is up in heaven, wringing his hands about what's happening, and he wished that he could, he could just do that, but for whatever reason, either free will, or he's just not all powerful, he's, he's like the king with the law of Medes and Persians. The story shows that's not the case at all. But what it does show is that the limitations of even having a, a, a ruler on your side, it's tempting to think if we could just get the right leaders into office, everything would be better. Now, Scripture does say that good, godly leaders are our blessings. And yes, elections have consequences. I was just listening to the World Podcast reflecting on a year after Roe versus Wade had been overturned. And, and what you see is that um, the pro-abortion states have had more abortions and, and the pro-life states have had less abortions. But we can praise God that there's something about 30,000 less abortions this year than last year. And so you do see how, how laws can have consequences, and that can be a good thing. We should pray for good, godly leaders, but they are fallible human leaders, and they are not our saviors. Earthly power is fading, and power, when becomes pressed into idolatry, actually becomes powerless. You see the same thing with Pilate. He has all this power, but he can't, he can't use it because he's afraid. And so we need to commit ourselves to the Lord and be faithful with our relationship with power. And how do you do that as a Christian? Well, there's one way is that you open it, you, you hold power with an open hand. Daniel presents a very complex view of God's people and power in this book. It says sometimes pursue power. Daniel and his king, his friends enter the service of a pagan king and of, uh, of a King Nebuchadnezzar. And when Daniel is elevated at the end of chapter two, he actually says, oh, king, would you promote my friends as well? Raise them up in the ranks. Well, this tells you there's, something, there's nothing inherently wrong with power or a position of power. There are some Christians who would completely distance themselves from government. They, they won't vote. They won't hold office. But you can see here that in some cases it's appropriate to be active in government. And God can use his people to bring about good even in an evil government. Uh, we, we, we were talking in the chaplains to see about how um, the, the COVID religious event, uh, COVID vaccine, religious exemption requests really depended on how actively the commanders prosecuted. And there was a group of highly skilled soldiers who they would not be able to re easily replace. Um, and they put in a couple exemptions 
And um, they were supposed to be kicked out, but the packets got lost. You just never know how, how, in a godly way, God can use his people, even in an evil government. That's what the book of Esther is all about. So there's times that you should, if you can, pursue power. But there's other times when you can disdain it. Daniel was out of favor with the court for some time. Between chapters 4 and 5, between Nebuchadnezzar's death and the reign of Belteshazzar, how many years? We don't know, 20, 30 years? He was probably serving as some lowly bureaucrat pushing parchment somewhere uh, when he fell out of favor of Nebuchadnezzar's death. And Daniel doesn't seem to mind. In fact, when he gets called back into Belshazzar's court to explain the visions, he's not trying to get into the spotlight. He's offered rewards. And what does he say? Oh, King, keep your gifts. I don't want them. Well, how can Daniel do that? Because he knows that the human kingdom it crumbles. It's God's that will last forever, that mountain. God may use his people in power to accomplish his purposes, or, or he may use other things. In Belshazzar's case, he simply removed him by bringing in Darius. Now, in America, we're privileged to have at least some stay in our government. Right? Involvement is our birthright. That wasn't the case in Daniel's time. But we as Christians who, who serve Christ first need to make sure that we are not putting our hope in the next set of elections, wherever that is, but in the Son of Man, his kingdom that cannot be shaken. So be faithful with power. Don't get caught up with the perks of crumbling power and be ready to give it up. Daniel could have argued, you know, I'm too valuable a person to risk myself. It's, it's not me. It's my position. I can do so much good. If, I, if I'm taken down, I'll be of no use to God. And so compromise. But he refuses that delusion. When I was in chaplain school, this is close to 10 years ago, we got to sit in with some chaplain captain promotables. These were soon to be active duty majors. So these are, these are men who had been in the chaplain ministry for close to 10 years, active duty and one of them said to me, and us, as we were sitting there, this is in our endorsing agency, he said, I'm living as an 06 on E3, or 03 on E6 pay. And what that means is I'm living as a captain on staff sergeant's pay. I'm living a frugal life. My wife and I are budgeting. If a staff sergeant in this family can do it, we can do it. He said, I'm putting the rest away into a nest egg. He says, if the army says to me, you know, deny Christ or do something, he says, just going to go to England and have my doctoral studies. He says, but don't get yourself to the point where you're trapped by the pay and the benefits and the perks of this world, whatever it is. Understand that positions of power and prominence can bring you into even more persecution. Remember what it says in Hebrews 10, 34. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And how can you do that? Oh, you can be faithful as you look towards God's protection. Let's look at verses 21 through 28. Remember the king cried out to Daniel, and then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found in him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they and their children and their wives, 
Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwelled in the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and to fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What we see here is complete protection from lions, both literal and physical. Daniel's enemies are described a bit like animals. is a vivid phrase to describe his accusers. When they, when they came to accuse him, literally Hebrews, they, they ate the pieces of Daniel. They're, they're attacking him, which is what they wanted to happen to Daniel. And God delivers Daniel in this amazing fashion. Strange again about the details, right? God delivers Daniel from the lions. It's just very, very matter of fact about it. It doesn't go into this, of course. This is what God can do. Now, this is not a guarantee that God rescues every faithful person. But what it is showing is the picture of God rescuing the ideal righteous sufferer. In the Old Testament, God's people developed by his inspiration this idea of a person or a group who would suffer for being righteous and then would earn God's approval and blessing for the nation. And interestingly enough, those who are opposed to these people were often described as lions or beasts. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 17. If you go to Psalm chapter 17, we'll be looking at verse 8. I'm reading a few verses. Listen to this imagery. Psalm 17, verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. For the wicked who do me violence, from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me, they close their hearts to pity. Their mouths, with their mouths, they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They have set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion eager to tear, a young lion lurking in ambush. You can turn back to Daniel. There's other psalms along those lines. Psalm 22, where Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It talks about dogs, perhaps lions, depending on how you translate the one verse. Um, You can also see this thought in the famous passage or chapter, Isaiah 53, although there's no animal imagery there being pursued, this righteous sufferer. But the hope that that emerges in the Old Testament is that there will be a righteous sufferer who will eventually come down to one righteous sufferer. You'd actually see that in, in Daniel 7, where the Son of Man both represents God's people, but also this special individual who's going to come that God will use to bring about his plan for Israel. The sufferer will be pure and will be abandoned and oppressed, but God will finally deliver him. And here Daniel is this picture of this righteous sufferer. He's described in chapter 1 as blameless. He's persecuted for following God. He is utterly abandoned. The lion's den is quite literally lowering Daniel into the realm of dead, and he is locked in with the royal seal. And in his distress, God intervenes and defeats death by muzzling the lions. Now, Jesus says that all things in Scripture testify about me. And Daniel shows how God will ultimately accomplish his plan. That Jesus is the one, the perfect righteous sufferer, who will also be laid in the tomb, the realm of dead. He will be sealed in. And when God raises him up, he defeats death. Not just in a picture, but for real. 
And, and so Daniel is another rescue showing what God can do. His, his rescue is people. And, and Jesus shows in his resurrection that God has finally done it. And so how can you stay faithful to the end and even rejoice when you lose your status, your stuff, perhaps your health uh, for following Jesus? Because the same God that stopped the mouths of the lions, the same God who raised your Jesus from the dead, and his kingdoms lasts. Now, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we've all lost out. But since he has, all their kingdoms are crumbling, and all earthly power and glory are but faithful shadows. And so be faithful to the end. And finally, be faithful in your present challenge. Of course we want to be faithful to the end, but I'm talking to you in the now. Now, I, I, I believe that if you were presented with the challenge that some of our brothers and African sister, sisters in Africa might be, choose Jesus or, choose Jesus or die, choose Jesus or, or be kicked out of the tribe, choose Jesus or be jailed or beaten, I believe you would be faithful. I believe we would. But we're not there yet today. Maybe in our lifetimes, but, but pastorally, my, my concern is, is not that, that at a ripe old age like Daniel, you have to risk everything to follow Christ. It might get there someday, but that's not our challenge today. My concern's for you and me. And the book of Daniel is, is not just to comfort saints, stretched to the, the brink of persecution, although it is that. It's also to awaken us sleepy Christians about the true reality of life. That we are to be faithful in times of discreet warfare. And so when Satan tempts you to rest on your previous passion, your yesterday drive, your earthly accomplishments for the kingdom so that you coast. You know, you can coast delighting in the Lord because you're you're, you're tired and so you, you know the Bible and so you can fake a hunger for scripture. You can coast in your ministry efforts because you've you've done your time. You can stop doing the little disciplines that that draw you to the Lord. Your life can be crowded out by entertainment or other good things, and one day you wake up and realize that your love for God is cold, and Jesus and salvation seems like an impersonal reality. How do you stay faithful to the end? How can you be like Daniel, firm and fervent in prayer, 80 years on into a life that's full of trials and disappointments? How can you be faithful now? Well, ask yourself, is there an idol that I need to dethrone and name? Once again, this, this chapter talks about the futility of idols. Here it's naked power. But you see how this idol, even in all its, its impressiveness, is powerless. It brings death. Those that plot are thrown to the lions. By the way, you see again, there's no picture of neutrality here. You're either for God or against him. You will either be saved or you will be judged. That's also a picture of what we're to do with our idols. Put our flesh to the death, not just the big ones, but the little ones. Ask God to grab your heart. Put those idols to death and maybe take one step towards him today. I've used this illustration quite a bit, but it's meaningful to me. And I'll, I'll, I'll use it again. Elizabeth gave me these, these magnetic bars and balls when, I was, when we were engaged over in Iraq. And actually, no, she didn't. It was my friend. That's right. Um, his, his wife sent them over and just, just toys to play with. And I, I started a, a counter. It's 270 days till we were married. And I counted down. And, and then when we got married, we just started counting up. And it's 58.05, I think, I think is what it is today. And, um, but there was a time, there was a time where we were both sad. Um, we were both struggling with the pain of infertility. And we just stopped. We stopped updating the counter. Like not, not just a day or two or a week, months. And I remember one day just realizing that we're drifting. 
And of course, changing the counter doesn't necessarily just bring you magically closer together, but taking that little step was a way for us to be grateful for, for our relationship and say, Lord, would you help us to love the other? What is that that God is asking you to do today to draw close to Christ? And then step back, look at the lion's den, and see how it points to the empty tomb. Remember that whatever you are going through or will go, go through, God is faithful. And so you too can be faithful to the end. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you alone are the one that we need to fear. To look for our approval, our vindication, our protection, our love. We see the story of Daniel who stood against, it seemed, the whole world. Certainly all of the leadership in Persia. And he was able to do that because he was looking not at them but at you. And so would you give us that same grace, that same joy, and that same discipline, that we would go out this week and be able to be faithful to you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.